welcome to Crime Time FM. My name is Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. But today, once again, it's my pleasure to introduce Craig Sisterson doing an interview for us. A special for the holidays, if you like. Today's interview is with Peter Papathanasu, and he's chatting to Craig about his new novel, The Stoning. Craig Sisterson is a crime fiction critic, founder of the Nio Marsh Awards, and author of Southern Cross Crime, a survey of the crime fiction and films of Australia and New Zealand. So who could be better placed to interview Peter Papathanasu about his debut novel, The Stoning, than Craig? This is a stunning new outback noir, a fantastic read. And so let's hear what Craig and Peter have to say. Good day. My name is Craig Sisterson, and it's my pleasure to bring you another awesome Crime Time FM podcast interview with an amazing crime writer. We love bringing you interviews with some really cool crime writers from all across the globe and to share their stories, their lives, and their writing with you. Today, it's my great pleasure to be talking with one of the writers of 2021. The, the author of The Stoning, a book that the Times newspaper in London chose as the crime debut of the year. It's a huge welcome to Peter Papathanasio. G'day, Craig. Thanks for having me, mate. Oh, it's great to chat, mate. It's great to chat. Nice to hear an Antipodean accent as well as I'm uh, here in London, in, in cold cold and grey London. You must be enjoying some sunshine down in Australia. So. Uh, well, we've got La Nina at the moment, so lo- lots of rain on and off. Uh, but look, there's enough Australians in in London. I was yeah. I was there once myself, so I'm sure you hear good day yeah. uh, from time to time. Yeah, very true, very true. Now, Peter, first, congratulations. I mean, the the your book, The Stonings, kind of come out in the latter part of 2021, and it's had a pretty amazing kind of response from readers and critics already um, seeing it appear on lots of books of the year list in New Zealand and Australia and as I say the, the Times newspaper picking it not just as one of the books of the year but the crime debut of the year what's it been like for you as a first-time novelist to kind of see your book embraced in this way oh well you know mate it, it blows you away you know something that you work at for many years um you know, I started the stoning in, in 2014, so, you know, seven years to get it uh, published. Um, not all of it spent writing, um, but a large percentage of it. Um, and, um, you know, I always knew it was going to be uh, potentially a risky book given some of the things that I write about, you know, the the, the characters and, and the setting and the themes. Um, so to have it... Um, recognize you know to have people respond um, and also um, you know rate the title as something that stood out in 2021 is just you know fulfills you know all my wildest dreams so it's been really really great I mean I loved it mate just being honest I I read a lot of crime fiction from all around the world I've always enjoyed kind of reading beyond the UK and US though I love so many UK and US authors as well and um yeah, I just thought it was fantastic. I mean, I've enjoyed the likes of Chris Hammer and Gary Disher and Jane Harper and others who who write really good rural Australian crime novels and outback Australia crime novels. But it did feel like you were kind of 
bringing great quality, but also a slightly different perspective to this genre, which is kind of increasingly getting, or the subgenre that's increasingly getting noticed over here in the UK of Outback Noir or Vegemite Noir or whatever you want to call it with Australian crime novels, particularly rural ones. For you, why did you why did you choose the Outback setting for this book? Why was the setting kind of the right setting for your story? Oh, uh, well, I guess, um, I mean, a, a number of reasons. Um, one of them you might be able to relate to yourself, um, which is I started writing the book when I was living in London um, around, around 2014, 2015, um, and I probably just felt really homesick. Um, you know, the sun was going down at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and it was really cold and grey um, and it was really crowded, you know, every time I went out of the uh, flat. So I, I guess I was longing for heat and, and, and space um, and distance and sunshine. Um, and I often find, you know, I, when I've left Australia, I've, I've lived outside of Australia three times now and still come back, you know, it's got this incredible pull. Um, when I'm away, I, I, you know, I think about it more, you know, it's that, that yearning that you might have, that, that homesickness. Um, so that was partly the inspiration, uh, just having that distance and that freedom of mind to to want to write about, um, you know, topics that I might not have written about here if I was, if I was here in Australia. Um, and secondly, I guess when you ask most people, um, if they close their eyes and think about Australia, you know, what, what images come to them, it, it usually is the outback. Mm. Um, and that's probably um, also goes for people who live in Australia as well, who have, you know, travelled around and, and seen the red dirt and the open spaces and, you know, the cinematic quality and the, and the beautiful natural scenery and the animals. Uh, you know, those sorts of things have been popularised uh, you know, in my lifetime by uh, Paul Hogan, who was Crocodile Dundee in the 1980s, mm. um, really took Australia to the world and especially America. And um, also Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, who mm. you know, sort of underscored the, um, the uh, dangerous nature of Australia's animals. So I think that's sort of an image that people have of Australia globally. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely true of the place. Most of us live in cities, you know, we're urban dwellers. We, we, uh, we don't encounter sharks on a regular basis, um, but there are many kangaroos around where I live and, and poisonous snakes and spiders, um, definitely hot, uh, definitely spacious. So I think it was just all those qualities that made me want to want to write about it and, um, you know, also sort of standing on the shoulders of people like Gary Disher and, Chris Hammer and Jane Harper, who have written about the um, the outback so uh, effectively and evocatively, and it really is a, a wonderful place to to write about. You know the the variety of uh, terrain and um, you know, sunshine and thunderstorms that you can get in remote parts of the country, um, and then also the the animals that inhabit that part of the world, and then also the characters that you can create to inhabit that part of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've nailed it there. And that, yeah, so there there is something different about Australian and New Zealand cities, and and 
So let's tell the readers now a little bit about The Stoning, which is a pretty amazing book, and I highly recommend that everyone kind of goes out there and grabs it. And it starts with a death in a small outback town, and then, you know, this body of this local school teacher is discovered, and it, it appears to be this brutal murder of, you know, where she's been tied to a tree and, and rocks have been thrown at her head and stuff like that, and so quite medieval, so to speak. And, you know, we have this Greek-Australian detective George Manilis, who comes from the city to the outback town, but it's a town he's very familiar with. Um, you know, he's grown up there himself, even though he's kind of a city cat now. And he's got to deal with all these outback town characters. There's also that whole, you know, you can never go back home. You can't go in the you know, same river twice, because even though it's a place he knew well once, it's obviously changed since he's been away and his own life's changed. He's changed too. You've got all these amazing characters. You've got, um, you know, a variety of small town cops and small town people. And there's also these issues, which I thought was really particularly great, you touched on, of having a refugee centre or a resettlement centre situated just outside the town. And obviously there's a lot of prejudices about how the townsfolk feel about that. And with kind of this teacher's body being found, you know, having been stoned, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, prejudice about who may have done that and why they may have done that and tied to the refugee centre. And for you, what was the acorn of the story? Was it the character of George and, you know, his shared heritage with yourself as a Greek-Australian? Was it these issues you wanted to explore or was it a combination? What was the acorn that kind of grew into the story? Um, good, very good question. Um, I think a, a lot of those things, but really the... I think probably the first thing that came to me was the setting. Um, I, I set up the outback town of Cobb um, to be basically a metaphor for Australia. Uh, there's white folk there. There's uh, the First Nations population, so uh, black folk. Um, and then there's uh, all the almost the, the people in between, um, uh, of which I was, you know, once myself, who came from my family, came from the Mediterranean and, and came to Australia as, as immigrants in the 1950s. Um, that was a time when when the country was really crying out for migrants um, and, you know, gave my parents an opportunity. Uh, there's also the concept of 10-pound uh, poms, who, who were people that came out to Australia from the UK uh, for a, a, a different life, a better life. Um, uh, and they're called the 10 pound poms either because they paid 10 pounds for the journey or were potentially even given 10 pounds for the journey i can't remember um so i've, I've got some friends who were descended from 10 pound poms um and and um we still have uh, you know large numbers of uh people who uh successfully settled in the country as migrants um but you know i don't really like you know and I'm not the only one, uh, you know, seeing some of the policies that are being put in around immigration detention, um, offshore processing. So, you know, these are having people uh, in immigration detention in, in little islands that are offshore of Australia. Christmas Island is one of the well-known ones. Mm. Um, uh, and um, then there are examples of uh, outback towns that have immigration centres plonked, you know, in them on their outskirts. Uh, very good for remoteness um, and also, you know, ostensibly to stimulate the local economy. Um, they, they, they have uh, varieties of uh, detention centres that are high security or low security. 
Um, but you basically have this dynamic of uh, white folk, black folk, um, and then you know, people in between um, who've come from uh, other countries um, um, who are all trying to get along with each other. And I kind of thought that that's an interesting metaphor for Australia, basically, and, and you know, essentially any country that has a, a large multicultural um, a population and, and, and policy. Um, so I wanted to set up this town, you know, metaphor for Australia, and I thought I needed an inn. And, and the inn is um, the protagonist, um, De- Detective Sergeant George Manolis, who is uh, Greek-Australian. So I thought, you know, let's make him an extension of me. Uh, and he can then offer potentially two uh, perspectives you know he's a person who grew up in Australia and that's where what I did um, you can hear it in my voice that I speak with an Australian accent um, but someone who has a strong um, Greek heritage you know my first language was Greek uh, all the customs and traditions um, were things that my parents passed down to me um, you know, large family gatherings baptisms um that those sorts of things um so i thought well you know that gives the immigrant voice um to the book and that's potentially something that hopefully you know most mainstream readers white readers um can relate to um because greeks now in australia are uh, a largely old hat you know we're a familiar cultural group uh, i think uh, the city of melbourne um, might have half a million or even more people out of their 500 uh, out of their five million people who have some form of Greek heritage. So when you think about it, that's one in ten. Yeah. Uh, and I think it might be the third most populous Greek city in the world. Um, you know, bigger than even New York and Chicago. So huge connection there. You know, Greek food and, and Greeks um, uh, appearing. Um, on television, uh, sporting personalities. Um, but then you have a, a lot of other cultures that have followed us. Uh, and um, these are cultures who are uh, ending up um, in, in these immigration detention centres. Um, they're experiencing considerable amounts of racism. Uh, uh, I know that's something that I've experienced in my life. Um, not so much these days. Um my parents, you know, I remember some them telling me some of those stories. Um, so it needed, um, I thought it's a really great, you know, character to tell this story through. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention uh, the uh, the other uh, wrinkle um, that uh, I um, sort of designed when I when I wrote the stoning was, I thought, you know, I want to tell a I want to tell a story about races and cultures and migrants um and um how we treat new arrivals you know which is a topic that's really close to my heart but you know if you want to fully explore this topic you also need to be true to the country's original inhabitants Mm. so i needed to have a character who um you know represented the uh, indigenous australians the first nations people and this came in the form of uh, my main secondary character, who's a local uh, outback constable um, named uh, Andrew Sparrow-Smith. So he just goes by the nickname Sparrow. Um, writing Manolis was relatively easy, you know. He's 
sort of borrowed a lot of the qualities of my, myself and uh, sort of based on my brothers as well who, are, who live in Greece. Um, but writing Sparrow was more challenging, you know, it required research um, in order to, to, to make sure I represented, um, you know, First Nations people um, both accurately and sensitively. Um, I wrote a, a manuscript before I wrote The Stoning. It's, it's yet to see the light of day. And um, it was also set in the outback. And I, I wanted to have a First Nations character. Um, but I was uh, uh, talking with a writing colleague at the time at a, at a university. And he'd published many books before me. And um, he said to me, don't do it, Pete. It's, it's a really fraught process. Yeah. Um, it's almost more trouble than it's worth. You're likely to get it wrong. Um, and at the time, I, I kind of listened to to them, but I thought I, I can't do it when I write the stoning. It just it's just not going to be as strong a um, as strong a um, a novel. So um, I, I took on that challenge and I, I wrote the character of Sparrow, um, and then um, it involved research. And then uh, you know when when uh, the time came, I also. Um, sought out representatives from the First Nations community and um, also from the asylum seeker community. I asked them to read the manuscript. They both represent vulnerable um, peoples within our, our society and I, I wanted to make sure that they were, you know, accurately and sensitively portrayed because too many writers in the past had, you know, done a really bad job of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all those things kind of came together and there's there's characters who represent the asylum seeker uh, refugee community there's people who represent the, uh, the, the the legal community and the detention uh, regime in the book there's local uh, residents etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's a story that was told from multiple perspectives um, but that required uh, you know, probably more work than I imagined but hopefully the payoff is there uh, in the final product yeah, it's, it's an amazing, rich tapestry you've created. And I, one of my favorite things about the book, and I liked so much about it, but one of my favorite things was that way of, that you just did have those layers and the different kind of groups that were, you know, living in the same community and kind of crashing into each other and intermeshing. And there were so many things you could see from that perspective. It was really interesting as well. And that in a way, part of the story is about the prejudice faced by new Australians or people seeking to be new Australians in terms of refugees and asylum seekers. But then sometimes the prejudice was coming from people who had that very same journey themselves, you know, a few decades ago in terms of, you know, 20th century immigrants to Australia, whether Greek Australians and other communities. But then you also had that offset against, you know, the, the prejudice and ongoing kind of racial issues faced by the very first people who were in Australia before any immigrants came and have a culture that dates back tens of thousands of years, one of the oldest cultures in the world. So it was really interesting kind of seeing this issue from multiple perspectives and how people who were vulnerable themselves and, and had been prejudiced against themselves could still be prejudiced against others as well. I mean, yeah, you know, they, they um, <laughs> you know, the, Kind of uh, First Nations people uh, kind of, um, you know, look at the arguments that are going on and and say, well, I don't know why you're all arguing. You're all foreigners, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where do you get off on, on claiming this is your country, you know? It was originally once our country and now we've kind of been, you know, pushed to one side. Um, 
I I um, wanted to write a, a crime book first and foremost. You know, I thought this would be a really great um, uh, prism through which to tell a story like this because you have these simmering tensions and the beauty of having a crime is that it kind of, you know, exposes things and layers start to get peeled away, questions get asked, and then these things start to get revealed. So the book was a whodunit, you know, first and foremost, and a whodunit can help propel a plot, but, you know, I designed mine to be more as a springboard that would allow me to launch into an exploration of characters and their worlds and these important themes that I that I wanted to write about. Um, I've already, you know, sort of heard some feedback from readers overseas and, and there, uh, one reader from the UK uh, wrote and said, oh, you know, I had no idea that Australia, you know, was employing such a, you know, draconian strategy for new arrivals. Um, you know, uh, I know, uh, yeah, it's very sort of different situation in Europe and I almost look at the situation in Greece where, you know, the, 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 even if they, even if they uh, wanted to try, even if they could even if they wanted to stop, you know, the boats, basically, they they couldn't uh, because there's just their coastline is so broad and they don't have the resources. So there's boats sort of crossing into Greece all the time from, from nearby countries across the Mediterranean. Uh, Australia is blessed with this isolation and these thousands of miles of, of water between us and and other countries that are still, you know, largely inaccessible, New, New Zealand uh, as well. Mm. Um, so she was kind of surprised that that Australia had employed this strategy. She hadn't really occurred to her. Um, and then she went on and said, oh, I also didn't realise that you had this history uh, against your First Nations people, you know, your Indigenous population. I knew there was a problem in America and that mm. the Native uh, American Indian uh, peoples had, you know, had their lands taken and, and large sort of... Uh, uh, numbers of people were killed, but I had, I had no idea that that had happened in Australia. And I'm like, kind of floored me a little bit. I was mm. like, well, that, that happens, that's happened in a lot of countries. Why would you think it would be any different in Australia when, when, it, when, uh, when people arrive and a, and a country sort of gets um, colonised? So it's great to be able to, to, to share this, the, this history with, with readers and, and not only entertain but also educate say this is stuff that was happening in the past and this these are examples of problems and issues that we're still facing today uh, down under. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful novel and, and it, it is really cool because you could write history books about this topic, you could write general fiction or literary fiction books about this topic, but I think there is something special about crime exploring these kind of topics because crime fiction can be such a wonderful mirror to society or a prism through which to examine things because they create page-turning compelling stories where people want to continue reading and they're voraciously reading them and they're kind of getting all this as part of the story rather than the book being kind of about with a capital A about the issue. You know, I think it's it's amazing how crime fiction can kind of balance that entertainment and education in a way that almost gets those themes through to people kind of more directly into their veins because it's such a compelling story in other ways as well. And for you, you've kind of touched on it, but for you, what was it that made you want to write a crime novel? You've written a, a previous book, a nonfiction memoir about your life, but when you came around to write your first 
novel, was it always going to be crime? You know, did you have kind of a lifelong love of crime fiction? Did you read mysteries when you were young? What was it that made your first novel a crime novel? Oh, you know, um, I would I would probably say, I mean, I don't exclusively read crime. I'm, I, I wouldn't describe myself as someone who has a large pile of crime books and takes one from the top, reads it, tosses it to one side, grabs the next one and just, you know, sort of keeps going like that. I, I read um, more more broadly and maybe, I don't, maybe I'm selling crime readers a bit short there. I'm sure they do read things other than crime, um, but I fall into that category. Um, I like the, well, a couple of things that drew me towards crime. First of all, you know, just outwardly, it's a very engaging, compelling, page-turning genre. You know, I know when I pick up a crime book, I am going to consume it uh, really quickly and I am going to enjoy the ride. Um, um, I like the idea of um, it being a puzzle. I mean, that's something that, uh, you, you you don't necessarily get when you read. Um, I read a lot of literary fiction as well. Um, you know, very beautifully written and interesting character explorations and worlds, but you're not trying to solve something. Um, and that's all. You know, one of the and that's probably something that might define um, crime readers is is they love that challenge of trying to identify um, who's the culprit every time. And, and some books they might pick the, who it is in the first. Um, you know, 50 pages and then other ones that might be right until the end. So I like that idea of a puzzle. It, it gives another dimension to a book. Um, and I certainly found it challenging to, to have to sit down and try to create a puzzle in addition to executing um, writing. <laughs> um, it was something that I, I, I didn't quite, well, I mean, you know, I mean, I did anticipate it, but I guess, uh, you know, well-experienced crime writers just make it seem so effortless. Mm. Um, so I like that idea. Um, having a, I liked um, a crime, crime books generally have the same, well, I mean, I don't want to say too much, but they generally have the same sort of elements to them. You know, there's something, you know, hideous happens at the beginning and, uh, and then there is an investigation and largely speaking, justice prevails, you know, in the end, you know, after much, um, uh, turbulence. So that gave me a nice framework in which to operate, especially for writing a first uh, novel. I knew that I had certain pillars um, and signposts that I needed to hit. Um, and then I just needed to do that in uh, a unique and interesting way. Um, and probably the last thing I'll mention is that I, I have a background in law. Um, I went to university um, at the Australian National University uh, here in Canberra and did a law degree um, and I specialised in, in criminal law. Um, <clears throat> I remember at the time when I was, you know, choosing, because uh, you know, we studied constitutional law, property law, contract law, and we were choosing topics to write about in our thesis and, and um, I said, I'll do criminal law. And they said, oh, that's all great. You know, it's a great criminal, uh, it's a great topic for a thesis, but if you're thinking of practising in criminal law, you might want to think again. There's not a lot of, there's not a hell of a lot of money in it. You know, um, I think if you want to make a lot of money, you want to work in corporate law and contract law and potentially even family law these days. So um, I just found, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just so interesting to read about 
real-life crimes that have taken place, um, you know, what people's motivations were for committing those crimes because those people have been captured, now they're on trial. Um, investigations, how they um, un un unfurled, um, you know, the, the compilation of evidence, which is, you know, a huge uh, factor and uh, required in these cases. And then also how um, arguments were presented um, and how uh, judgments were brought down. I mean, I should potentially be writing um, uh, a legal uh, crime book, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that features lawyers presenting arguments and that sort of thing. Um, I've been out of that game a little bit, little bit too long, but I do always remember that I found criminal law the most interesting of, of all the subjects I did. And that's why I, I, I specialised and, and wrote my thesis in it. So all those things kind of came together and said to me, Pete, this is going to be a, 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 a work of crime fiction. And, yeah, you know, going back to when you were in London kind of, you know, seven, eight years ago and you were, you know, starting to sit down to, to write this book. And am I right that you you actually did part of it or you started it while you were doing like a crime writing course in London? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I can't get enough of um, a university in academia, Craig. <laughs> um, <laughs> going to be a lifelong student. Um, yeah, I, I did a master's um, in uh, creative writing. The university was um, City University of London. Mm. Um, and they, that um, that's the course with Claire McGowan, is it? Yeah, yeah. Claire was one of the um, conveners, mm. uh, you know, one of the, the people who was running the, the course, a, a very uh, well-known um, crime writer. And um, I think the course had started a year or two before I got there and uh, it was only being done for literary fiction. Mm. But they, they started seeing such a high demand for people who are writing crime that they kind of went, well, we've got to open up a second stream um, and it's going to be a, a, a crime thriller stream. So um, that's where I went. I think I was in the second class, second graduating class um, all up. And, um, yeah, you know, it was a, a, a line of, um, of uh, study um, and they focused on, on, on things like, you know, plot, characterization, tension. Um, it was great because we had... Um, access to people in the industry, you know, agents, publishers. We had uh, guest speakers. Uh, I still remember the night we had Lee Child, uh, the famous Lee Child who came and spoke to us. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, quite a few um, uh, people have kicked on from that course and, and been published writers. I kind of stood out a little bit because I was, you know, the, the Australian, you know, Yahoo who was writing about, you know, uh, kangaroos and and um, you know, sweaty, you know, pubs and um, heat. Uh, those weren't really uh, the books that the Brits were writing about. Mm. Um, they still had very interesting stories, but um, my really was was sort of very different there. Um, and um, I mean, maybe that's turned out to be a bit of a strength, a bit of an asset. Uh, at the end of the day, because the book is you know, so distinctive. Um, but then you come back to Australia and there's so many other writers here who have been writing uh, wonderful Outback Noir for many years. Yeah. For the course, like, because um, I know the course, it has, it has the kind of the teaching models. Did you have to write some or part or all of like a novel manuscript as part of the course as well? 
Oh yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, I probably um, it, it had a, a number of components. It, mm. it had um, coursework. Uh, you know, yeah, we had to study, um, you know, particular texts, and we had to present exercises on things like uh, characterization, plotting, and I mean, a lot of those things were arming us with the tools that we were going to use to write our manuscript. And then the major work that we needed to submit was a full-length um, manuscript. Um, so, yeah, mine was uh, examined. Uh, and I got a distinction grade, which I was still very proud of. Um, and, um, I mean, that's not really the end of the journey. The, no. the, the journey then is to uh, keep editing, keep working at the manuscript, um, and, um, you know, hopefully um, uh, get it published. Mm. Yeah, and so that that process post the course was another few years for you of working on that as as you moved back to Australia and obviously had lots of other things going on in your life as well. Um, but that that kind of took a few years for it to come out. And and what is it like now that you've had the success? And I know that you're writing. My understanding, you're writing another book that has George at the centre of it. And I would imagine that even if it might not come out a year later, it'll probably come out within a couple of years. So it'll be a much shorter time frame for you of the writing and publishing of that. What's that adjustment been like between the first and the second novel? Yeah, so there's a second, um, a second Manolis, you know, book uh, in the works. Um, and, I mean, look, uh, it's... it's uh, well, I mean, you know, I've got a fully-fledged character there, so uh, I'm not sort of starting at square one. Um, publishers uh, do like the idea of a series, you know, and that, you know, when you're creating a... Well, I guess when you're writing a, a crime book, you're not just writing a world, you're not creating a world, you're creating a universe, and that universe, you know, spans uh, m multiple a number, number of books. I mean, you think of the most famous franchise in the world it's uh it's james bond um you know and they're, and they're essentially you know you know espionage spy stories where he's trying to bring um criminals to justice um so it is a a, a process um where i'm not just you know starting something from scratch i've got a character that that uh, readers uh know um i think the challenge then becomes doing something novel and, and interesting with them. Uh, you, I don't just want to write another, you know, stoning, uh, even though it's um, it, it's gone down really well. Um, and uh, hopefully, though, I, I imagine, um, you know, it's not quite as, as long a time period for writing, uh, but because I've done it once before, it, it's just easier to do. Um, you mentioned that I had a, um, a, a memoir that I um, published uh, before the stoning, and, yeah, that took uh, 11 years to publish, uh, not 11 years to write, but it was an 11-year journey. The stoning took seven years, so it seems to me that I'm, I'm, I'm getting, it's getting faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess you also feel more confident. You feel that, you know, the words that you're committing to the page are a bit more settled. Um, you found your voice. And that you also know the elements that are required to convey uh, an effective um, story. You know, the first time you do it, it's all um, novel and new, and you're not quite sure what you're getting right and what you're getting wrong. You can also learn about the things that you might have gotten wrong in in a, in a book, and then look to execute them better the second time around or the third time around. 
So hopefully the writing and the, the characterization and the stories um, do improve. And, and that book, for those listening, Peter's memoir that he's mentioned is called Son of Mine. And it's kind of a memoir that documents the migrant experience and uh, kind of being caught between cultures and things like that and, and what that's like. That, that, I mean, I'm really curious about that book too, Pete, because, you know, if, I was thinking if it took you 11 years to kind of write and publish that, then you must have actually started writing it when you were relatively young. You know, people often think of memoirs as something that people write, you know, at the end of their career um, or sometimes, you know, middle age. But you must have begun writing this or begun the idea of writing this when you were, you know, relatively young in terms of, you know, being a kind of, you know, pre-middle age and stuff like that. What was it that made you want to kind of delve into your own experiences in book form in that way? Oh, yeah, um, I mean, you know, I recently encountered a bloke here who's late 70s and he's, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, not really in the prime of his life and, and now he's thinking back and, and, and taking stock and, and he wants to document his life and, and the things that he's experienced and, you know, potentially feels that he, he might be running out of time uh, a little bit. So um, I um, I guess I, I didn't want to be in that situation. Uh, you know, there's many people who almost, you know, reach that age in life um, and, and realise that they've run out of time um, or they, they can't possibly execute it themselves. Um, so I, I wanted to write uh, something when I was uh, a lot younger. I guess I had aspirations to be a, a writer and an author as well in my life, to, mm. to be a career uh, writer, not just have, you know, things that I've done documented. I wanted to be able to tell stories and entertain people. Um, it usually begins with a personal story, you know, <laughs> uh, and I think... Uh, I think maybe every writer's first book, even if it is fiction, has one foot firmly in nonfiction. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, things, yeah. that, things that they've lived themselves. For me, the major thing that, that happened in my life um, that, uh, you know, I look back on uh, was finding out when I was um, 24 years old that I was uh, adopted um, mm. and that I had this other family that I, I didn't know about. Um, and then that, was you know a whole other world it made me look at my parents differently not hugely differently slightly differently they were they were still my parents but then there was this other family that I belonged to um and I went on 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 that journey um that happened in 1999 when I found out that I was adopted when I was 24 years old um and then I started writing the memoir in um, 2008 so about 10 years um after that so I guess when you have such a life-changing experience, um, uh, you know, my way of processing it was to um, write, it all, write it all down. Um, I didn't just write down my own experiences, you know, because I went on a journey to find out this family um, and who they were. Uh, I also wanted to write about all the things that brought my mum to um, adopt a child. So I remember sitting down with my mum um uh who was what was she at the time she was about mid 70s uh when i was starting to find out these stories 78 when i started writing the book and she's uh now 91 um and 
I asked her, I said, look, you, you've got to tell me about these things, you know, what you went through about how you came to Australia from Greece, um, what was life like here about meeting your husband. Mum was unable to have children of her own and that's why she was forced to adopt. Um, you know, what was it like at that time? You know, this was a period when there was no IVF, for example. So um, finding solutions to infertility were, was, uh, was, was really uh, tricky and, and very, uh, um, you know, sort of primitive. So I sat down with my mum and, and um, I recorded all those stories that she told me in, uh, in audio just with a tape recorder then I sat down and transcribed them, and then slowly the story started taking place. Half of it would be my journey, half of it would be my mum's journey. It would be moving back and forward in time. Um, so I was really proud of that structure, you know, and, and uh, being able to bring those two voices um, um, to that story. And I guess what I would like to say, you know, to listeners, um, everybody has some you know type of story like that in their families um i've just documented one tiny part of of mine i've no doubt that there are so many other relatives that i had who are no longer with us who had you know potentially more interesting stories than the one that my mum told me um if we don't sit down you know and write down what these stories are they they they, they go with people to their graves Sometimes that's what, what, what some people want. They don't want to be reminded of certain things that they've done, periods in their lives. You can see the interest now in genealogy and people doing DNA testing and finding out, you know, people that have come before them in their family and some of the, you know, less desirable uh, things that they might have done. I think, quite frankly, it's a, it's a great, you know, <laughs> opportunity to, to write another crime book um i might have to think about doing that myself i've not done a dna test to, to work out exactly where i've come from but um, the mind sort of races as to who um uh, i might have had in my family um and yeah i mean we're, th we're thinking about periods of time when the world was was you know very less civilized than it is now i know we've, we 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 really have a lot of shock and awe at some of the things that are happening in the world but compared to you know what the what the world was once like. Uh, we, we've definitely come a long way. So for me, the adoption was really a springboard into telling my own personal story, writing about it, um, and then I knew I just didn't want to stop there. I had ideas for stories, um, and I was always a, a big reader and also a big writer as a child. Um, I think I was about nine or ten years old when. I'd read enough books. I went, you know what? I think I can do this. And I started to sort of write my own little stories myself. Yeah. Fantastic. No, and I think it's absolutely right what you say about all those kind of real life stories that are out there in all of our families. And people can think that they've lived, you know, ordinary or everyday lives compared to these fantastical stories we might read about or see in the news. But actually, everyone's kind of got interesting things in their lives and in their families and that sometimes they're just not talked about very much and and you kind of don't uncover things until later. And I think as um, as the pandemic and other times recently have shown us is, is that, you know, it's, it's easy for things to change. It's easy for things that are lost. We do run out of time sometimes that we don't think we'll run out of. And so it's important to um, talk about these things and share these things, whether privately, just within your family or perhaps for those of us who are writers and readers to, to share them more broadly so that 
people can take things from them and learn from them and, and see the connections between all of us. It, it, I will say it can be very challenging to do that within a family. You know, we, yeah. tend, not, we tend not to talk about these things. No. Um, for whatever reason, you know, I know in my family there was a certain shame, you know, that came from that infertility. It was something that my, my parents endured from being unable to have children of their own. Um, you know, they were unfairly judged as, you know, being this uh, infertile couple and, and, and women were, um, were, 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 well, mum was sort of not a true woman because she hadn't had children of her own, you know. This is a different time in the 1960s and, and whatnot. Um, now now having, uh, not having children isn't, you know, judged in the same way. So it's really hard to have these conversations. I know my dad didn't really want to talk about what had happened maybe that's a maybe that's a gender difference there that blokes you know they're just not big talkers you know (laughs) i would have loved to have heard more about it from his perspective um whereas mum you know was 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 different she she was happy to talk about it she was also happy to talk about it because i kind of said to her look i want to try and write this down and i want to try and turn it into a book um if you're just talking about it for the sake of talking about it yeah that yeah it's still interesting and still great to find out but when you have something that you're actually working towards something that you're um writing this these 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 stories down for it just adds another element and maybe people are, are more likely to open up a little bit more but yeah, it's it's not easy to do that within a family, and sometimes that's why it's easier to talk to a complete stranger because they are the, you know, the unfamiliar and uh, the unknown, and potentially there's less um, there's less judgment there. Yeah, that's true. There's kind of less you're risking in terms of personal relationships and things like that. So, um, I'm I'm a little bit curious as well, Pete, because. Uh, you know, I haven't read your memoir. I'm going to have to get it because it does sound fascinating. But from what I know about it, you know, you talk about the migrant experience in your family and obviously your Greek heritage. And you were born in a small village in Greece, I believe, but then grew up in Australia. And, you know, The Stoning is a book about the migrant experience in Australia and, and various other things. Am, am I right? You and I have spoken before, but am I rather the next the next book you might actually take George to Greece in that? So you're going to be exploring that other side of your own personal history as well. Yeah, you know, I've uh, I've been um, <laughs> uh, I said too much. No, I think it's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been um, I've been dabbling with the idea of George um, uh, going to Greece uh, and uh, you know having uh, an adventure there. Um, so again, it's sort of uh, you know that sort of that rich heritage and, and that uh, opportunity to to write about a country that is. My second home, you know, I've still got brothers who live there. We, we talk uh, almost every week. Uh, I've been to Greece, um, you know, many times and spent extended periods there, you know, getting to know them, travelling around Greece. Um, so I think I, and, you know, was, was, was born there as well myself. So I think I'm, um, if I'm ever going to write about a country uh, other than Australia, um, even though I've lived in America for uh, three years, um, you know, I haven't I haven't lived in Greece for three years, but um, I think I can uh, tell a story a- about my country of Greece, my other country, uh, the people, um, the culture, the traditions, 
um, the landscape. Uh, and these were things that I, you know, sort of always had in the back of my mind. And then every time I went to Greece, I started making notes. Um, and uh, the book that I've been writing is is inspired by um, a true person that I, that I got to know in Greece. So um, I, I imagine uh, that's going to be the, the, the second book in the series. Um, and then I'll, I'll be looking at the universe and, and probably bringing um, the story back to Australia. Then after that, I probably don't have an American adventure uh, or a, um, a London story um, in George Manolis. But, you know, never say never. Um, at, at the moment, the idea of him being a Greek Australian detective um, and the first book is therefore set in Australia, makes sense to set the second book in Greece, take George there and have him find out about his own heritage um, and take readers there and give them, you know, something a little different, but hopefully equally interesting and compelling. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I do like the implication that we have several more George books to come because he's a wonderful character. And I so loved your first book, The Stoning Pete. And I mean, I could happily chat to you for a long time, but we, we, we'll have to tie, tidy up this podcast because we want to let the readers go. And after enjoying this, they can go and order your book from their favourite bookshop or ask their library and others to get it so they can enjoy it as well. I'm just a little bit curious to finish off, though, Pete. Um, you know, we're, we're going through this global pandemic. It's been an interesting time for, for authors and readers in terms of, you know, there's authors who are putting their first novels out like yourself and I, and I had my own first book come out during the pandemic as well. And, and we, um, you know, we, we're not able to do a lot of events. There's not the launches and the public events and the festivals that are happening in person as much, even if some are happening now and again but a lot of them haven't been happening the last 18 months or two years. But you you did have an opportunity just this past weekend um, before we spoke to go to the Bad Sydney Writers' Festival, which was a kind of real life actually happening in person on location in Sydney Writers' Festival that's just happened. I saw some photos online, very envy-inducing, looked absolutely wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was right cause, was like? Because I imagine you haven't had been able to do a whole lot of events, even if you've done some bookshop or library or smaller events I imagine this might have might have been one of the first kind of bigger events you did with like a festival with so many other Australian crime writers there what was that experience like for you as a first-time crime novelist yeah no you're, you're right um uh my book uh, stoning came out in October and Australia was um deep in lockdown um We'd done really well to ride the pandemic um, for, well, nearly two years. Uh, you know, again, we're a country with blessed with isolation and geography. Um, that makes it really hard for people to, to get here. Um, and it also makes it really hard for a virus to get here. Um, so we were able to um, shore up our borders, um, implement a, a hotel uh, quarantine strategy, um, so that any new arrivals had to do 14 days in hotel quarantine. Um, at that point, it, it bought us time to, um, you know, for vaccines to be developed and, and testing to evolve. Um, and, and now we've got th therapeutics that are coming online. So um, we did really well uh, for nearly two years. Uh, and then finally, Delta found its way in. Uh, and now Omicron has found its way uh, in as well, um, that we've now actually reopened our borders. Um, so we're, we're kind of rejoining the world. Um, and the reason why we were in so deep in lockdown 
um, was because um, we we didn't have high vaccination rates out. We we, we just didn't have good supplies of, of vaccines. So um, that's all changed now. We're getting really high vaccination rates, like in excess of 90% acro- across Australia, which is just staggering. I, I didn't quite expect that. Uh, so I was unable to do any um, launches or any live events. Um, and uh, then I was invited to Bad Sydney, which was originally set for September uh, and then got pushed back to December, again, due to the, the lockdowns, which really lasted all of August, September and October in Australia. Um, and um, I, to warm up to, to go to Bad Sydney, I did a couple of little book clubs here in Canberra because I had people read my book and they invited me along and, and that was nice to talk about it for the first time live. Uh, but then to go and, and, you know, be on a panel with, with your peers, uh, a lot of debut uh, novelists um, that had come out, uh, uh, novels that had come out, be able to be in a room with, with readers and be able to talk about the books and hear about other people's experiences and sort of, you know, similar stories about um, motivations, um, you know, why they, why they wanted to write crime, why they read crime. Uh, for many years, uh, differing journeys to publication, um, but ultimately sort of wanting to entertain um, and wanting to uh, write page-turning stories. It's just, you know, really sort of, um, you know, always a warm welcome, you know, when you're a, when you're a first-time writer um, uh, because it's so hard to, to, to get that first book out there. Um, and be really supported by the community. I, I heard the crime community was was really supportive of each other, um, and that, that's exactly the reception I had. Meeting readers, you know, hearing some of their questions, um, you know, things that I never really expected, um, you know, as I was writing the book. So it just sort of feels like a bit of normality uh, is returning, at least to our little you know corner of the world here in Australia. Hopefully I can make up for some lost time in, in 2022 and have some launch events for the stoning. It'll be a different feeling because it's not the day the book is published, but in many ways it'll be an even better feeling because of the reception um, that the book has had since it was published. So it's something that I, I know I'll always remember and I think anyone who's a career writer um, will probably have that that pandemic book, you know, that book that they launched during COVID that they were unable to experience uh, normally. And um, hopefully the stoning is the only one of those that I have. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I know what you mean. I still have kind of little thoughts in the back of my mind when I do eventually get back to New Zealand, Hope, hopefully sometime in 2022, that I might actually be able to do a belated kind of launch slash celebration of my book with my friends and family and others in New Zealand even if it might be 18 months after the book came out kind of thing so it's uh, yeah it's definitely a different a different time to be an author well thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today Pete I really appreciate it as I say absolutely love the stoning it's just a brilliant brilliant crime debut I highly recommend listeners out there who like good crime fiction go and get it, either ask your favourite local bookshop or your favourite local library, and um, yeah, get your hands on the stoning and have a read. I've been Craig Sisterson, uh, my special guest today is Pete Papathanasio, and thank you so much for being with us on Crime Time FM Podcast. And so as always, Craig Sisterson nails another great interview for Crime Time FM.
If you haven't got your hands on a copy of The Stoning yet, do so. It's great that a lot of exciting new crime fiction is coming from the Antipodes, but the reason books like this are a smash is because it's just a damn good read. The Stoning, Peter Papathanasu, my clothes press, out now. I'll be back with another interview in the new year, and I'm sure Craig will too. For now, all the best wishes for 2022 from Crime Time FM. See you soon. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye for now.